sermon series looking at the armor of God um, and we've been in this passage for a few weeks and we're going to be here for another few weeks um, looking at what it means to be um, wrapped in God's armor and we, we know that we're in a spiritual battle we've spent time looking at that and this morning we're going to continue um, our, our series our study looking at the next um, piece of armor that that we have in this list but let's read from verse 10 um, down to verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 6 this morning and I think it's on 979 of the Pew Bible or there or thereabouts. Let's listen to God's word together. Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Amen. May God bless us the reading of his holy word. We spent some time over the last number of weeks. I'm not going to do a recap every Sunday morning because that would just take time. Um, and, and if you want to, you can remind yourself of the previous week's sermons. By, they're on YouTube. There's the podcast and stuff. So please do use that to help you as we go through this, this study. Um, but one thing I want to say is just how we mentioned that, that, that the Apostle Paul, we, we have this image of a Roman soldier that is often used within uh, commentaries and and. and probably the, the, the church in Ephesus would have maybe thought about that when they visualized what Paul was speaking of when he was penning this uh, armor of God. But, but actually, we, we also said last Sunday in, in our first uh, time in this passage as well about the importance of um, Isaiah as, as we see um, in the Old Testament where this is definitely within Paul's um, thinking as he's writing this and, and actually how uh, Isaiah is prophesying He's, he's looking forward um, to the coming of the Messiah, uh, and he's speaking about the Christ who would come. He's speaking about Jesus, and actually about the armor that Jesus, the Messiah, would have, who the Messianic King, what he would be wearing. And we thought about last Sunday, how it says in Isaiah 11, it talks about the righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And this highlights an important aspect of God's armor, and I think it's a really reassuring one as well. And that is that God hasn't just, you know, come up with some, um, you know, little bit of uh, thinking of, of armor that he can put on his, his followers, upon his children. But actually that, that what we see is that through um, Isaiah, when he, we, we, we will refer to um, different parts of Isaiah in our sermon series, we will see that each, each of these... Um, um, items of uh, armor that Paul is speaking about in Ephesians that actually they point back to what the Messianic king would also be wrapped in and protected by. And for me, I, I take great comfort in that, that actually that the armor that God gives to his children is the same one that the, the Messianic king wore as well. And that is a really reassuring thing for those uh, who, us who follow um, Jesus, that actually we're his body. You think about that, we are the body of Christ. And actually, when it speaks about the, in Isaiah, about this messianic king who would come and it, it talks about these things, then it's no surprise that actually Paul very much um, likens what we read in Ephesians 6 to what Isaiah speaks about throughout his book. And we thought as well that 
we can stand, the only way we can stand is once we have this armor on, and that we see that within the grammar within Ephesians as well. It's not, you know, get stand up and then quickly put your shoes on and all that kind of stuff, and then you have to put the breastplate on before the enemy comes and attacks you, but you can stand. The only way you can stand is because you're dressed in this armor, and that's a really comforting thing as well. The breastplate that Paul is speaking of here is most likely a, a bit of metal that covered the, the front of a soldier uh, and the back as well. Uh, and it would go from the neck down to their thighs, both front and back. It was a really protective garment and a vital piece of um, a soldier's armor. And it protected the soldier from deadly thrusts of the enemy's sword, that when the enemy came close and he tried to stab him with the sword, that actually there was real protection um, and, um, from the enemy's attack. And, and with it being front and back and from neck down to um, thighs, we see it protecting the vital organs of the, the soldier as well, and, and physically, uh, and particularly their heart too. That it's such an important um, part of our being, our, our physical body, uh, and it was protected by this, this breastplate that they would wear. In the Greek, the word that is used for um, breastplate is thorax, which we use in uh, anatomy for um, the part of the body from the neck down. It's where we get that word from. Uh, so you can kind of visualize what, what, how this would protect. And um, the, it protects from the neck down and, and the, the vital organs, the kind of the chest area and all of that. It's a vital piece of armor, and Paul identifies this uh, with righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. What is righteousness? It is a word that we use a lot in church. What do we mean by it? What do we mean by righteousness? We hear in our songs, we, we sang it, I think, yet not uh, I, but through Christ to me, speaks about righteousness. A lot of our hymns speak about righteousness in our prayers. And when we're, we're kind of talking biblically, we speak about righteousness. But what do we mean by righteousness? The Greek word used here for righteousness is dikaiosyne. And that's a really important word. And nearly, I think it's um, 99 times out of 100 when it's used, it's used more than that. But, you know, every time but one when it's used, it points to this word righteousness. We thought about last week about how God is truth and Christ is truth. And he is um, our standard. He is perfect. His ways are not our ways, that he is imperfect in all of his ways, that he is our standard. And when sin enters the world in Genesis 3, before that, Adam and Eve, humanity could enjoy a perfect relationship with God because they were pure. There was no sin. There was nothing wrong. Genesis 3 happens, sin enters the world, and separation takes place. And we now live fallen. We are in a fallen state. We live um, under the, the consequences and the wages of sin. Each one of us has messed up. The Bible tells us that all have fallen short of the glory of God. None of us can reach his standard. He is perfection. He is perfect in everything that he does. All of us have fallen short from his glory. We are polluted, and that means 
our efforts are tainted and fallen short. So we do not stand right before God. There is a problem. We cannot approach him because we have something wrong as human beings. And that thing that is wrong is sin. It has marred us. It has tainted us. Romans 3 tells us that none is righteous. No, not one. And this, uh, this word for righteousness in the Greek, um, when we look at the root of it, it can mean by implication, innocent. None of us are innocent before God. Not one of us. Even if you have told one little porky pie in your life, if it's the smallest little lie, then that's the only thing you've ever done wrong, you still fall short of God's standards. Because he is perfect. He's not a man that he can lie. He does not lie. And if we're honest, we know that actually we're flawed. We, we get things wrong. We lose our temper. We shout when we shouldn't. We say things we regret. You know, we think thoughts that we shouldn't think. We look at people in ways that we shouldn't look. We are, we, as human beings, we, we mess up. Something that we all have in common. Or maybe it's just me this morning, but I know it's not because the Bible tells me it's not. So none of us stand right before God. We all fall short of his standards. And this root word for, for righteousness, when you look at this word righteous, it means by um, implication to be innocent, to be morally right before God. And none of us are that. We've all done something wrong and by our nature we are sinful. It means to be righteous, means to be approved by God, to be just in his eyes. None of us by ourselves are that. The only way we can stand before God is if we are sinless, without blemish and righteous. We've fallen short of his standard. We can't get near him. You know, as human beings, we all mess up. Isaiah 64 tells us that our righteousness our righteous deeds, even when we try our best, even when we, you know, we try and do righteous things, good things, just things, things that we think are good in and of themselves, even those things Isaiah 64 tells us are before God, they are but filthy rags because he is perfect. Your best is nowhere near good enough. And God gives the law in the Old Testament and we see that from the law, we see God's standard. We see how he wants his people to live. And actually what we see from it is it exposes our helplessness. It shows us actually we can't do all these things. We can't do all these things within the law. We mess up. We, we fall short of them. And actually what the law does is it highlights our inability in and of ourselves to be righteous before God. And what the law shows us is that there needs to be another way. And it points to the need for another way for us to be righteous. And that was always God's plan. For there is another way to stand righteous before God. Not through your own deeds. Not through your own righteous deeds because they are filthy rags. But God sends us away and his name is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Let me quickly turn to Isaiah 59 this morning. And you tell me whether you think 
that Paul was thinking of Isaiah as he pens this letter to the church in Ephesus. Isaiah 59, verse 14, down to verse 17, and it'll appear on the screen before you. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away. This is speaking about God's people, how they're so distant, they can't get near to God or his standards. And for truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. God saw that we couldn't do these things, and it, it, it made him, he was displeased with that. Verse 16, he saw that there was no man. He, he saw that none of us could make it. None of us could reach him in and of ourselves. None of us could be righteous before him. And verse 16, and wondered that there was no one to intercede. And then, friends, this is the gospel in a nutshell. Then his own arm, God himself, God's arm himself, brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And what Isaiah is speaking here is he is pointing forward to the coming Messiah, God's chosen and anointed one. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. This passage in Isaiah, again, surely is what's in Paul's mind as he writes about the armor of God that God's people can wear. That he tells us in verse 17 of Isaiah that he put on righteousness as a breastplate. That's the Messiah, Jesus, the coming one, the messianic king. And the helmet of salvation on his head. And what we see in verse, these verses is that God saw that none of us could get to him by ourselves. That we were so distant, we were so far, far away, we were letting him down with regards to the law and his standards. There was no one to intercede. Not one person could stand in the gap. Then his own arm brought salvation and his righteousness upheld him. Now friends, I must press upon you this morning that the armor that Paul speaks about in Ephesians 6 is the armor of God that is for the people of God. It is for those of us who follow Jesus. That is who the armor is for. Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, to the believers in Ephesus. So if you're not in Christ this morning, this wonderful armor that Paul is saying that is available, if you're not in Christ, it's not your armor. But friends, it's there for you. It's available for you. And all you have to do is call on the name of Jesus. And he wraps you in these wonderful pieces of armor that protect you from the enemy. We do not have any righteousness in and of ourselves. We cannot get to God in and of our own deeds or our own ways or our own thoughts or our own actions. They are like filthy rags before him. But the breastplate of righteousness is God's own righteousness. It's external from us. I've not conjured it up myself. God has gifted it to his people. So as we, as the body of Christ, we stand clothed and wrapped in God's righteousness this morning. It's a gift by God we receive through faith in what his son, what the Messiah, what Jesus has done. 
Second Corinthians beautifully says, for our sake, not his, not God's sake, but for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, so that we could stand restored, redeemed, that we could stand righteous before God, not through any acts in and of ourselves, but because the one who was already righteous, the Son of God, upon him was placed the iniquity, and by his stripes we are healed. And in theology, what this is called, and it's a really important point, and I, I pray that you can remember this because it's a really vital part of, um, of the Christian faith and, and, and theology. And what we call this is, so if you think of, of me, you know, being, being sinful, I'm in filthy rags, I've got nothing good that I can bring myself, I've messed up, I've fallen short of God's standard, and here we have Jesus on the cross, and, and Jesus is he's perfect, and he is, he's come from heaven, he's the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, righteousness is already his, it's, it belongs to him, he is just, he is perfect in all of his ways. And what happens at the cross of Calvary is that God takes my filthy rags off me and what he does is he places them upon Jesus and what he does then through faith, when I call on the name of Jesus, when I ask Jesus into my life and to forgive me for the things I've done wrong and when I repent of my, my transgressions and my sins, what he does is through faith he, he gifts the, the righteousness of Christ. He wraps, he takes Christ's righteousness and he imputes it into his people that's the big theological word that we have is it's imputed righteousness it's not something that I can conjure up myself I can't earn my way into heaven I can't behave my way into heaven I can't good deed my way into heaven but what happens is at the cross of Calvary, we have the most beautiful exchange where my filthy rags are taken off me when I call in the name of Jesus they're placed on him he pays the price for me and Christ's righteousness is accredited to me through faith. That's the heart of the gospel. I can't earn it. It's a gift through faith. We're justified. We are made right through faith and by faith alone in Christ's atoning works. You, if you do not have this righteousness from Christ, if you're not adorned and wrapped and covered by the righteousness of Jesus this morning, which is yours through faith in his atoning works, you will not be saved. doesn't matter how good you think you are. doesn't matter how much money you give to charities or to church or how many good deeds that you do. You cannot behave your way in. It's only through believing in what Christ has done in your place. And what scares me is the amount of people within the Christian church who do not grasp this key principle that it isn't anything that I can do. It's not through good works that we are saved. But we're justified, we are made righteous through faith in Christ's atoning works, through believing and calling on the name of Jesus. And friends, what this does is it highlights my utter dependency upon him. I cannot do anything, nothing. 
All my righteous deeds are like filthy rags before him. But through faith in Christ, we are made righteous because God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we through faith might become the righteousness of God. It is the most beautiful exchange that has ever taken place. And upon this most important and fundamental doctrine, the church stands and is called the bride of Christ, that we are saved but by faith in Jesus alone. And the breastplate of righteousness is revealed and put on through faith. It is external. It's not something we can behave or, or bring up within us ourselves. It is gifted to us. It, is, it belongs to God and it is yours as his adopted child through faith in his only and beloved son. And when you have this imputed righteousness of Christ, when you are wrapped and covered by the righteousness of Jesus, what happens then is that when God the Father looks at you, what he sees is his son. He sees not the wrong things you've done, but he saw that his son went to the cross for you and that he's taken your place. And what this fundamental and vital piece of armor does is it highlights and shows our complete dependency and need upon God. We need him. Without him, we, 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 we're nothing. But through him and by him and because of him, we are called heirs of God. That we are co-heirs with Christ to this most wonderful inheritance that is a gift to any and all who call on the name of Jesus. And we see here that God is concerned with the heart of his believers, that he covers his children's heart with his cloak and breastplate of righteousness. We see in Ezekiel that it talks about God wanting to replace his, his people's heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And to be a wearer of the breastplate of righteousness, this means that you know it's not in your own strength that you stand. But it's in not your ability, but it's because of what Jesus has done for you. To wear this piece of armor means to completely trust and be totally dependent upon all that Jesus has done for us. But it also means to trust in what he says. That actually no longer am I just a sinner saved by grace. But now that I am cloaked in the righteousness of Jesus, that actually I, I, I'm a co-heir with Christ. That is amazing. And I think we have this mentality within Scotland where... You know, yeah, we're sinners, and then we're sinners saved by grace. But you know, don't get any further above that, because do you know what? Actually, don't get too, um, you know, too self-important. But actually, what the Bible says this morning is that you're not just a sinner saved by grace, but you're adopted, you're engrafted into God's family, that you are co-heirs with Jesus, and you will share and experience the beauty of His glory. And if you're in Christ this morning, you have the breastplate of righteousness upon you. It shows your need to be saved. 
It shows your trust in Jesus. And friends, what that means is there can be no room for pride in this place. There can be no room for pride in your mouth or in your heart. Because you need Jesus. And you haven't been saved by yourself. And the difference this makes to us by wearing the breastplate of righteousness, well, firstly, it means that we're secure. If you're saved this day, if you're cloaked and clothed in Christ, if you are truly a follower of Jesus, if you've been washed in his blood, and your fruit will show it. You're secure, and you have that assurance of salvation. But secondly, it also protects us from the attacks that the enemy brings because one of the tactics that the enemy does is that he makes us he begins to make us look off christ and look to ourselves. and as soon as we do that we begin to trip up do you know the enemy comes to you and he says you you can't do this remember that time you did that remember that time you committed that wrong thing Remember that time you did this? Who do you think you are? Why would God save you? These are lies that the enemy brings to you. And he's making you look at yourself. You aren't good enough. You're not treasured enough. You're not valued enough. You're not loved. Remember what your parents said about you? How can God the Father love you if your own parents didn't love you? That's the things that the enemy brings to us. And what he's doing is there, he's making us look at ourselves. But what the breastplate of righteousness does is it actually takes our eyes off Norman and it looks to Jesus. Because I can't do it. I know that. The breastplate of righteousness shows that and proclaims it, that I need Jesus, that I'm dependent upon him. It isn't about me or the things that I lack. I know what I lack. I know the things I've done. I know that I'm not good enough. But I also know that God is gracious because his word tells me. I know that I'm treasured and I'm loved. Not because I think I deserve it, because God tells me in his word. He sent his son to die in my place. I pray this morning you can say the same. That actually you deflect those lies that the enemy brings against you. And you as a wearer of the breastplate of righteousness would know that you're safe and secure and loved. And that Jesus has done it all for you. Why? Because he loves you. It doesn't matter what this world says. Read what the Bible says about you this morning. That God loves you. I don't believe in myself. I don't hope in myself. I don't have to find peace in myself. I don't even have to try and find happiness in myself. Those things are found in Christ Jesus this morning. And as a wearer of the breastplate of righteousness, it reminds me of that. B.B. Warfield once said, and we, with this we bring our thoughts to a close this morning. Our need of Christ does not cease with our believing, nor does the nature of our relation to him or to God through him ever alter. No matter what our attainments in Christian graces or our achievements in behavior may be, it is always on his blood and by his righteousness alone that we can rest. Christ doesn't say, look, I'll save you. I'll do this bit for you because, you know, you'll struggle. You can't make it by yourself. I'll save you. Christ doesn't say at the cross, do you know what, friends? You're by yourself now. I'll see you in eternity. He doesn't leave us between the cross and heaven to try and get there by ourselves. Our dependency upon him continues all through this life 
through the valleys, through the green pastures, by the still waters, in the presence of our enemies, while he anoints our head with oil, while our cup is full and running over. And thank you, Jesus, Jesus, our Redeemer, that your righteousness that we are clothed in by faith, that we wear as a breastplate that protects all of us, that it covers us, that it guarantees our access into the presence of the Father. Because no longer does the Father look, if you're in Christ this morning, no longer does the Father look at the wrong things you've done, but he looks at the salvation that Christ has won in your place at the cross of Calvary. And when he sees you, he doesn't see filthy rags anymore, but he sees the righteousness of Christ, clothed through faith as a gift from God. Not because you deserve it, not because you can earn it, but simply because he loves you and he is gracious. And because of that, friends, we can say this morning, in God's house forevermore, my dwelling place shall be. And we can truly say, friends, this morning, as we bring our thoughts to a close, we're going to sing a beautiful hymn. And it's only because of the righteousness of Jesus that is imputed to you that we can sing this truth this morning, that when I stand in glory, his face I at last shall see, and there I'll serve my King forever in that holy place. Friends, we have but filthy rags, but the gift of God is that he gives us the righteousness of Christ when we come to him in faith. And let that protect you and guard you and carry you through this life. That even though the enemy comes and he lies and he says you're not worth it, don't listen to him, but continually look to Jesus and find your worth not in this world, not in the things that people say about you, but find your worth in the blood of Jesus Christ this morning. Because <coughs> he loves you so much that he is willing to go to the cross of Calvary for you so that you could say this morning, in God's house forevermore, my dwelling place shall be. Let us pray. Lord, we are so dependent upon you. Lord, we are so dependent upon you. Forgive us, God, when we try and do it by ourselves. But Father, as the wearers of the breastplate of righteousness would we know your protection and your guarding but also Lord would we be reminded every day of our need for Jesus that there is a redeemer and that Jesus you have done it all for us that in my place condemned he stood hallelujah what a savior for we ask these things in your precious name amen